Good morning, everybody. Glad that you all keep coming back. It's good to see you. Got some new faces and some I haven't seen in a while, so welcome. Um, but it's good to see you all here again this morning. Hope you've had a good week. Survived the ice storms and the cold and all that good stuff. Um, one question just occurs to me. I would like to ask, we've talked about a variety of experiences and so forth. It'd be interesting to hear a little bit about variety of experiences with regard to how long you've been at Otter Creek. So let's try this. How many of you have been, um, have come to Otter Creek in the last five years? Let's see hands. That's remarkable. Okay. Uh, how many of you have been here in the last six to ten years? And how many of you have been 11 years or more? Interesting. So we're kind of an inverse curve, but it kind of goes something like that. So interesting. Anybody been here um, 20 years or more? 25 years or more? So we're all at most 20 years or more. Good. Well, great. Um, Is that you? No, uh, the, the savages down here are 20 years or more with me. But, uh, Does that make you cold? <laughs> no, you? <laughs> that, reminds me of, that reminds me of a completely unrelated story, but it's very funny. It actually was good training in Christian discipleship for me because I've thought and written a lot about, you know, third ways in Christian discipleship. I think Jesus, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is He's giving a third way between fight or flight. You know, he's saying, don't punch them back, but don't lay down like a the doormat, even though a lot of people interpret, turn the other cheek and lay down a doormat. It's not what he's doing at all, really. But anyway, when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade, I think, fifth, sixth grade, junior high, uh, there was this bully in our class, and he was just, man, he was mean. And so one day I was sitting across, across from him at the cafeteria, and there was something in my cafeteria, you know, those little square cafeteria trays you have in, elementary and middle school. So there was something in that front middle square. I can't remember what it was, but it was something that he wanted and I wanted to. And he looked at it and he leaned across the table and he got real close to my tray and he and he said, you want that? And I just looked at him and I leaned down to my tray and went, no, do you? <laughs> so early training in the teachings of Jesus there, I think. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, uh, Angus is bringing us some copies. Of, I kind of rearranged uh, so we could try to uh, maybe have some good discussion. And I'm going to ask for your patience because what I'm going to do this morning is kind of work through a fair amount of material. Um, <clears throat> I'll cover it in pretty quickly, 12-15 minutes, and then we'll have the rest of our conversation, um, most all the rest of our conversation for discussion. Thank you, good sir. And uh, so, yeah, if you don't mind, just go ahead and pass those out. Those would be, be great. So that's kind of where we'll head uh, as far as the structure of the class and the conversation. A uh, quick reminder, um, first about what this class is, what we've been trying to do. Uh, a couple of years ago, 2019, there was a, it, it started prior to 2019, but there was a work done by committee first, then to the eldership on vision for 2029, which would be the 100-year anniversary of the church. This material was printed, presented to the church in 2019 in classes like this. We've been through all that we've been through in the last number of years, 
And so the idea was, let's, let's re-examine, a lot of stuff has already happened along some of the lines in the vision statement, but the idea was, let's re-examine that document and ask people where we are, you know, what, what seems to resonate, what seems to not resonate maybe as much anymore. You might think about it as, you know, if this is a vision document, you might think about it as going to the ophthalmologist and realizing you need to change your prescription a little bit, adjust the way you look at it, adjust the way you think about it. And so the idea is to hear a lot of feedback from you all and give us input, thoughts, you know, how do you resonate with this, how do you not resonate with this, and so forth. Uh, these were the four classes we, we did. We're one behind, of course, because of the snow day. Process of visioning, some core beliefs, first week. History and appreciation of scripture, second week. Last week we did current identity and some core values. And this week we're talking about some of the, the future. Did everybody get one of these that wants one? Okay. Great. So I want to start with this as far as kind of the way the elders have tried to commit to this. And first let me bracket this whole conversation today with what I think is a helpful sort of notion of aspirational values, right? So the idea of an aspirational commitment or an aspirational value is, you know, we may or may not be there. This may or may not describe who we are, but the idea is that this is who we are striving to be. And this is the vision of what we're trying to become. And so in talking about the leadership, uh, the elders said we want to commit to this sort of vision of authentic leadership, being prayerful, visible, committed, confessional, and accountable, all of which are hard. We'll value and relate to the entire body of believers. We will not be managers. Uh, we will be leaders. But that's one of the, you'll hear the language of accountability quite a few times in here today, and I would encourage you uh, to know that as an eldership, we've said we're committing to trying to be this, so given that there's this language of accountability, um, you can ask us about that every now and then. Say, how are you doing with this? Or it didn't seem to me that you did what you said you were going to try to do when such and so happened. So to kind of know that that's there, and at least we're trying to lean into that. So, um, again, this is kind of vision of the aspirational kind of stuff, holding on to the best parts of who we think we've been, and then growing in these new areas. The material is laid out under three main points today, uh, under who we want to be, a church that loves God and God's kingdom, a church that loves our neighbors, a church that loves one another. And then under those three headings, we're going to kind of iterate through those twice. The first iteration is going to give us more specificity about each of these, the way we think about these with more specificity. The second iteration through these three points will be, what do we really want to do at Otter Creek, or what does it look like at Otter Creek to try to be doing these things over the next number of years? Everybody good? Kind of where we're headed? So first, the more specificity on each of these three points. A church that loves God and God's kingdom. To be known as a people who not only, let me stop right here in a second. Since you've got these here, and since there's a lot of text, I encourage you um, to kind of either mentally or write down questions that arise as we go. Uh, once again, we'll have a lot of time for conversation, but, but note, because it's gonna be a lot of material, just note stuff there that you wanna raise as we have opportunity to do that. Be known as the people who not only know the Bible, but also seek to live holy lives based on what Scripture teaches. Continue to embrace Sunday morning worship as an opportunity to praise while being intentional about including friends and neighbors. Uh, three, be unafraid to brave risks in new ventures. Four, to model innovation and scalability as we consider new ministry efforts. That one's going to come up again. We, we talked some about that, both three and four last week, some of the pros and the cons of some of that last week. But one thing 
scalability, you know, I'm a, I'm a theologian for a living, not a business person for a living, even though I do a little entrepreneurship kind of stuff, and so I'm increasingly learned some of the, the, uh, the gifts, the true gifts of entrepreneurs. But it still kind of throws me off sometimes in terms of theological settings to hear some business kind of stuff. And so scalability, you know, classic kind of business kind of stuff. But it's also, I think, translatable to um, almost directly translatable to Paul's understanding of the body of Christ. And that is, what Paul says repeatedly is that at least two, two major times in his writings, he says, the church is the body of Christ, and it is made up individually of different members. And those different members bring their gifts to the body. And so the idea is that the body can do things as a body that we cannot do as individuals, right? And so when you think about scalability, if it starts to throw you off kind of like it starts to throw me off, I encourage you to consider the possibility that this is a kind of Pauline idea at its best, that we can do things together as a community of people that we can't do as, as a person or merely as a family unit. Second major point, church that loves our neighbors. Uh, the first one under here was, we like Jesus will counterculturally love our neighbors rather than love being right. Uh, second, a church family that loves people both locally and globally. Three, become more hospitable to all people, not for the sake of political correctness, but in the spirit of being all things to all people to further the kingdom of God. Four, be a welcoming church that loves everyone, regardless of who they are or where they've been, known as a safe place for broken people. Fifth, be deliberate about applying our academic knowledge in practical ways that matter to the lost and vulnerable people of our community. So then more specificity about church that loves one another. Uh, the language here was be a church that values children, families, and marriage. Additionally, we'll be more intentional about how we love and care for people of all ages, especially singles and seniors. Uh, two, be a church that places emphasis and provides resources for strengthening marriages. Three, hold each other accountable for our actions. Here's that accountability piece again. Um, so so those, those then are kind of specificity on those three big things. So let me now move to what we want to do at OC, what it looks like at OC to try to practice those things over the next number of years. Under loving God and God's kingdom, one, leveraging our unique creativity and our love for Jesus to solve problems that our world cannot solve. It goes back to the Paul's, Apostle Paul's body metaphor again. Two, embrace a ten-talent mindset taken there from the par uh, parable of Jesus. Embrace a ten-talent mindset which continually asks, what can Autocrete do at scale? that individuals cannot do alone. Three, seeking the Spirit's leading, we want to openly study and discuss the gifting of men and women with unity and wisdom, ensuring all members are fully utilizing their gifts and skills as revealed by the Holy Spirit. And as, um, as promised last week, I've got some more stuff to say about this if you want to bring it up during the Q&A. So uh, holler at me about that. I can update you on a little bit of stuff about that. Four, become a more dynamic and growing body including the possibility of church planning, multi-site engagement, and creation of digital communities. We expect to grow in multiple facets. Five, we want to rise above partisan politics for the glory of the kingdom of God. Now, that would be another important one if somebody wants to raise that. Some things I think we should talk about, hopefully could talk about today. Then loving our neighbor looks like, potentially, we hope, in the next number of years, 
seek ways to engage the whole church in hands-on ministry opportunities in order to break down walls between us and them, whatever the us and them means. There's no um, us and them particularly envisioned here. Just the notion of seeking to um, work to subvert any sort of boundaries, hostilities, tensions between various people groups. Create more kingdom disciples instead of religious consumers, which I think is a helpful phrase, important phrase. Two, move beyond providing symptomatic relief for those who struggle and instead provide life-changing solutions for the causes behind their struggles. This is, um, the language wasn't used here, but the language that's often been used in the Christian tradition is the distinction between works of mercy and works of justice. And so by works of mercy, we mean tending to immediate needs of people. They need some sort of attention. And so works of mercy feed those who are hungry, um, clothe those who are naked, and so forth. Whereas works of justice ask questions about root causes, structures, systems, inhibitions that gets people, are there, are there things that put people in that place in the first place, right? So you might think about it this way. The old line about um, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him, for, feed him for a lifetime, right? Those are both works of mercy. To give someone a fish is a work of mercy. To teach them how to fish is a work of mercy. A work of justice is saying, who poisoned the pond? Or who has restricted access to the pond so that only the powerful get access to fish in the first place? You see what I'm saying? And so here, this, even though the language is not used here, the idea is both of those are crucial to being the body of Christ and being, to bearing witness to the kingdom of God. Um, or you might hear, for example, a lot of people are unaware uh, because this is an English translation issue, but in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and it's what? Yeah, that's, what, that's the way it typically is translated. But, and it, that's a correct enough translation. But you could also translate it, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and its justice. It's the same word in Greek that can be translated both of those ways. But we often have to prefer the more religious-sounding language of righteousness, I think, than realize that Jesus says a first priority in Christian discipleship is to fir seek first the kingdom of God and the justice that pertains to the kingdom of God. Right? And so this is pointing to both of those sorts of things. Three, become a staging area to serve our Brentwood community. Four, to discern what it means to be a safe and nurturing church for all people, regardless of their sexual orientation. Five, as a means to become a more inclusive and diverse community of believers, we want to consider gender and race, along with giftedness and hiring decisions for ministers and staff. <coughs> Loving one another. We want to consistently bear witness to the power of the gospel at work in a vibrant community of faith. We want to find practical ways to apply our knowledge of the Bible. Two, we want to ensure that Otter Creek Camp remains a vital part of the spiritual formation experience of our students, uh, which has been, I don't know how long camp's been around at Otter Creek. Anybody know? Decades now, uh, but a wonderful element of uh, spiritual formation for uh, youth. Now it's third, is it third grade all the way up to 12th grade now? Three, I want to set high expectations for committed involvement and hold each other accountable when we succeed or fall short. This, um, that's, a, that's a challenging sort of notion, I think, for a church, and especially increasingly so for a large church, a larger church. Um, 
But the idea is that we we desire one another to in claiming to be a member of this local congregation to say we're a member of this local congregation and this is our church and we show up and we're present in various ways and this is um, uh, as a body just as in a family everybody's got to do their part and serve the common good and receive the common benefits and the joy and the challenges and the struggles the same way in the body of Christ in the family of God right that if we say that we're members there's a sort of expectation of let's be members and let's be members together and let's get to a place of where we can ask each other questions even sometimes challenging questions right um, now accountability is always tricky right because especially in so-called religious contexts accountability too often I think in my experience falls over into shame-based inquisition and there's a, there's a sharp difference between shame-based inquisition and a healthy accountability. Now, an accountability simply means to give an account. And we can learn to ask each other to give an account in a way that doesn't have to be accusatory, right? Um, is to simply say, can you tell me about how, can you tell me about this, right? Um, in somebody that I work with, she, she's encouraged me um, to watch my own sort of way I respond to things and when I ask questions. And she, she helped me realize you know, when you, when you ask it that way, it doesn't give the person a very helpful sort of space in which they can think constructively about how to respond to you. They, they're kind of being put immediately on the defensive. And she said, why don't you ask it this way? Or you could ask it this way. Or you could say, I'm sure there's something here I may not know, but could you tell me more about, right? And so I've tried to lean into that because that's a more helpful way to kind of ask somebody to give an account, right, than to say, why in the world did this happen? Right? <laughs> Seems so obvious to you all, but, <laughs> but anyway, accountability. Uh, next, we want to be clear about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I, that strikes me as funny. Um, and it strikes me as funny because um, oftentimes it's not clear, um, and I'll, you know, one of the, many of the great divisions in the Christian church has been because it's not so clear to us about what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's really important that we acknowledge, and now I'm getting on one of my um, soapboxes, but because it's my soapbox, it's a really important one. Um, <laughs> you know, one, one of the dangers, I think, in Christianity is that we have this sort of assumption that well, it seems, the text seems clear to me. And if you don't see it as clear as I do, then you must not respect the authority of Scripture. See how that works? And that means you really don't love God because you haven't seen it the way I do. And that's grounded theologically, to be the theological geek speak, that's grounded in what's called the perspicuity of Scripture, the assumption that the text is always clear. And that goes back to, for many of us in the Stone Campbell tradition, Churches of Christ, we got that honest from the 18th century and our leaders in this movement because they assumed always that Scripture is clear. Well, we forget, for example, that uh, I think it's Second Peter says, Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> it's like, well, if Peter says it, then who am I to think that it's clear to me, right? So anyway, we want that to be clear, but it's not always so clear. But nonetheless, we want to equip, equip one another to uh, think about taking discipleship seriously, to become and make disciples uh, that go beyond simply a worship gathering. Five, we want to provide clear expectations of what it means to be a part 
of the Otter Creek Church. All right, so those are kind of the big headings that we had kind of that were kind of sketched out in the vision statement. So we are recording. We have actually all week. I should have told you that perhaps all along. But one of the reasons that we're recording is because um, elders are having a um, retreat in a couple of weeks, a half-day retreat. And one of the tasks of that half-day retreat is for us to report on what we hear from the church in these gatherings. Right? And so we're taking notes, taking recordings, and I, hopefully even transcriptions of these are going to be made available to the elders to kind of hear what people said in the different classes. But we're not taking names. <laughs> I, I might be. <laughs> Okay, so questions, comments, those were our three big headings. Who we want to be? Church that loves God and his kingdom, church that loves our neighbor, church that loves one another. So you obviously covered a lot. Just starting with the last thing you said, we yeah. want to provide clear expectations. Do you mean like like the membership process or what it means to remain a member or is that... Um, or my way off I don't know what necessarily was meant by that when that was included in the vision statement, I, I can tell you some conversations that I know that have been had over the last number of years. And that is, we keep coming upon this conversation about, we have this notion of church membership, and we don't even really necessarily know what that means or what it entails. And so the, the, the hope would be to have a, um, to have enough clear discernment around what that even means or entails so that it could be helpful to people thinking about their involvement in, in the church community. Like, and the discussion at the time was, was a, I mean, it's a touchy subject, but it was essentially a, like, hey, some sort of expectation, maybe that it's like when you become a member, there's an expectation that you find some volunteer place, your place, in the, that sort of a thing. Yeah, right. And, and it, it goes with the sort of consumer line about, like, trying to get away from people Kind of coming to right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was um. Some of you guys may know this uh, fell out in the. I guess he's in Portland, John Mark Homer, and um, their church recently. It's fascinating to me that they're um, shifting away from the language of church membership and shifting towards the language of a shared rule of life, and so the idea is. Let's say if we're a member of this community, here are practices that we're going to commit to on a weekly, daily, monthly, yearly basis. So there's lots of possibilities of what this could end up looking like or meaning, but um, that's kind of at least some of the conversations that have occurred. Thank you. Somebody else? That's kind of a question about, um, talking about, I know there was something in there about like multi-site campuses, things like that. And that just kind of got me thinking, is there any language involved or discussion of, you know, how do we work with other churches in Nashville? Just because in some ways Nashville is the best place in the world to be a Christian because so many people are and there's so many resources. But I know, like, from not growing up in Nashville now being here, it seems like every church wants to do kind of their own thing. And I think in some ways, you know, with Otter Creek and its resources, can we, can we be a resource to actually put some of those together? And if we're going into other neighborhoods in, in Nashville, what are we doing to help the churches that are maybe already working, especially if it's minority groups or you know, um, you know, ethnic groups that are from other parts of the world? Like, How are we unifying that? That's a great question. Um, Becky, do you have any feedback on that question? Uh, Green Street is an attempt to do resources they don't have, but they have relationships that we don't have. 
Freedom Prayer is another one. Yeah. We uh, we team with uh, Church of the City, uh, Franklin, Spring Hill, uh, Cross Point, uh, Christ Pres, uh, Christ Church, Grace Chapel in Fairview. Uh, we all, even though we have separate teams at each church, uh, for instance, this Thursday night, I'm leading the prayer session at Church of the City and, and, and Franklin. And we're actually a Middle Tennessee team hmm. more than we are our non yeah. Creek team, Church of the City team. So uh, Jeannie and I went and participated in training to help the Church of the City in Spring Hill uh, and their Freedom Prayer team. Yeah, very high, great example. Room in the end. Room. Room. Yes, yeah. yeah. Another good example. Any other big examples come to mind for anybody? Well, I really appreciate that, drawing our attention to that, rather than thinking we have to control or reinvent the wheel. Just know how do we partner. Yeah, great. Yeah, especially you know, here there's so many churches of Christ, and that's you know, our closest theological neighbor is the Church of Christ, where every church can believe its own thing, kind of. But I would say Otter Creek probably has a lot in common with even a lot of community churches that aren't from, you know, my background, from, yeah. come from the Church of Christ. And I appreciate that. And I just, you know, I'm being built into who we want to be, I think that's something I'd love to see. I think a lot of people would. Uh, one more example would be the, the two churches that also meet at the Otter Creek West End, which are Colden and the Messianic Congregation, and then Reformation Church, which is the predominantly African-American church. Absolutely, uh, I don't know. And the Messianic Church meets on Saturday, right. and the other on when Sunday afternoon. Sunday night. Sunday night. Yeah. <laughs> Good. There's also uh, triad of churches there at West End: the Methodist Church Methodist. and the, the Jewish synagogue. The synagogue, and, uh, and another one uh, that meets at the middle school across the street. Right. And one that's a little further down the road. And those, uh, they've been doing that before Otter Creek became a part of. That, that became a part of our family. Uh, they were doing that long before, which is a wonderful example for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and there are deep relationships there uh, of ministering together, which I think is really profound. Yeah, we meet once a month and, and are always inviting them into things that we do and, and vice versa. Uh, so, for instance, with the MLK day, we, we were supposed to do a service day that day, mm -hmm. but it ended up snowing, right. so we didn't. But um, the, the uh, synagogue was, was going to partner with us. Great, thank you. Somebody else? Yes? What are ways, just thinking of all these things that we can get involved in, what are ways that we can um, educate the church better going into the future on the programs and the ways people can fit in? Um, I mean, some of these things I've heard of, some of them I haven't, but also educating in a way that we also can up um, involvement. And going back to what we talked about last week, helping us feel like we don't have to say yes to everything that we find our passion. I think we read something about um, where the Holy Spirit really wins our gifts. So yeah. Yeah, great. I'm going to take a, a, a note on that one. I know there are some efforts being done on that, but let me just note that as something that you're requesting more attention to. So you're great. Thank you. Very helpful. Uh, uh, Becky, do we have something on our website that tells all the different ministries? We do. Uh, so if you're interested in knowing what we're directly involved in, yep. You can go to our website. And if there's something, a place to like sign up for things like Green Street Wednesday nights or Room the End, things like that, that's also right there on that Where, Where's the link on the website for that? Uh, so it's under Ministries, Missions, 
and then it's broken down into local and global. Okay. So on the global side, you'll see upcoming. Uh, Ministries, missions, local or global. Yeah. Good, thank you. Great, thank you for that. Uh, we had a question on, I'm gonna go slide 15, but uh, you talked about gender and race as it related to like hiring staff. Is there, how does that relate to sort of non-paid leadership roles within the church? Is that same emphasis going to be, uh, is it called the MCC, as well as uh, the elder or shepherd staff? Like, or is that specifically related to hiring? Yeah. Um, so the, the question with regard to MCC and eldership, so elder, MCC and eldership obviously arise out of the membership of the church, and racially we're not particularly racially diverse, and so um, the, you see the whiteness then of our MCC and our eldership. Um, <laughs> there's been some uh, intentionality about trying to think about that, address that, make some concrete steps about that over the last three years. Um, after the George Floyd murder, there was a, again an increased careful work on where are there steps we can take right now and then what does it look like more long term. And so with regard to racial diversity, there's a, as I recollect, a working document that's kind of sitting out there to kind of help us guide uh, some concrete real steps in that regard. We, we also at that time gathered a lot of our African-American brothers and sisters into a group that gave us feedback on what would be the best steps to take into the future to help us to uh, make that more inclusive. Right. Yeah, yes, that's, that's a very helpful reminder because there were, there were a few kind of um, A good number of us in leadership had had certain things that we thought we should do this right now, mm -hmm. and what we heard from some of our African American brothers and sisters was, "You don't need to do that right now. You need to do some other things right now." Uh, and so, um, it is an ongoing process of determining. With regard to women, um, MCC maybe is it half women, half men? Something like that. And then eldership is all men. Well, and, and the, the chair of our MCC is, is a woman. Yeah. And has been for the last. Last two chairs have been yeah. women. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, eldership is all men. So that goes back to the, another one of the bullet points. And so what's happened with that is that kind of historically, um, this has been an issue that a number of people have raised over the last decade, more than a decade. And at least as far back as 2012, there was a group of elders on the theology committee that looked at this. And that was when, I think it was 2012, 2013, where the leadership decided to make some other steps as far as um, including women in certain leadership roles in the assemblies that hadn't been permitted up to that point. And at the same time, the discussion was had about women in eldership, and the um, there wasn't a consensus about moving forward with that in 2012-2013, uh, though there was apparently a lot of conversation about it. And then a couple of years ago, 
couple of three years ago now, maybe, because it, it started before COVID, um, the theology committee took up the question anew and started studying this again. And a part of that process was uh, reading a lot of stuff. And the reading especially focused on two major pieces. One was uh, hermeneutics, that is, how do, we, how do we rightfully read and interpret the text of Scripture, which is a key deal. And any time, that's why you go back to the clear, clearly what discipleship means. The reason it's not clear is because the Bible doesn't come with a preface saying this is how you use this book. You know, it's not in there. You can look, it's not in there. Um, and so we have to, we make that up, right? And because we make it up, we have to acknowledge we make this up. We make up how we read this book. And so the hermeneutics piece has been a lot of discussion. And second is looking at particular texts that traditionally have been read or interpreted as prohibiting women to have certain roles in the church. So this would be passages in 1 Corinthians, passages in 1 Timothy 2, and the like. Um, and then also looking at other texts that have typically been overlooked, like Romans 16, which enumerates all sorts of women in leadership roles in the church and so forth. So looking at scripture um, has been the kind of study piece. And then the role of the theology committee is have a study and then if you think it's important for the eldership as a whole to take some time to work on this, then you say, make a recommendation to tell us to work on this. And so that has happened. And now we're in this state of having lots of work among the eldership as a whole and some other people, MCC folks and MCC folks and so forth, kind of helping us think through this afresh. And so that's going to be one of the things that um, you'll likely hear more communication about in the upcoming months um, that we're going through this process. We're asking you to... Um, pray for us, pray with us, talk to us, give us your thoughts, give us your opinions, and uh, let us know what you're thinking about it. So that's kind of where we are on that. Any other questions or comments about that particular issue? Or Yeah, just a follow-up real quick. Yes. You mentioned that we're studying the elder piece specifically. Yeah. Going back, you know, however long it was when we had the original discussion, what were some of the uh, recommendations and uh, implementations of, um, you know, gifting I hate to say like what people are allowed to do or not allowed to do, but what were what were some of the conclusions that came out of that first study from a, a decade ago? Mm -hmm. um, as I recollect, what happened was there had been a well, kind of in history of Church of Christ, and I don't know where all this falls in Otter Creek history because I've been here only twenty. Twin Lauren, I've only been 22, 23 years, but um, churches of Christ have been very male-dominated and, dare I say, patriarchal. And Otter Creek has, for decades, have tried to push against a lot of that tradition and stretch it, right? And so various steps have been made, and I don't know when all along the way. Uh, I don't know when Basically, the deacons, we know we, we did away with deacons and we in, instituted the MCC, which was a step towards um, include, including women in that sort of leadership role. That was in the 90s. In which, yeah, happened a long, a long time ago. Right? Um, stuff like women so that's what started happening. Yeah, so in 10 years ago, what happened was that there were certain roles that were still prohibited by our practice our tradition at Otter Creek to women. And so one of those was women praying in the assembly. Um, and so that was one that 
in 2012 that I think they finally said that we have no reason to be prohibiting this. And so that was one concrete specific example. Anybody remember anything that happened in 2012? I meant something about, I, just, I always giggle about this, but passing trays at convenience. I'm not kidding. Like it was. No, that's right. That was like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that goes back to the, it's not so clear why we have these traditions, right? But there was this tradition that, again, in my, I'm just, I'm not speaking for the elders, I'm speaking for me right now. Um, which I'm, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to, I don't know about it. You put me in the space, right? It's but, on tape, Lee. But it is on tape. <laughs> this is me alone. But, but you know, I, th I think that you look at something like passing the trade and prohibiting women from passing the trade. There's no scriptural reason for that whatsoever, right? There's no proof text you can use for that, you know, as if you're usurping authority. But um, nonetheless, it was the tradition, right? And so when you have a tradition, you have to find a, you have to say something about why are we changing the tradition? And so that was another thing that happened. That's right in 2012. You Becky? Uh, related to that point on slide 12, it says. Seeking the Spirit's leading, we want to openly study and discuss the gifting of men and women with unity and wisdom, ensuring all members are fully utilizing their gifts and skills as revealed by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot to unpack there, and I'm curious what with unity looks like. Because I would imagine in this room there are, you know, a number of different perspectives on that, and I would imagine in the eldership there are as well. So what does what how are we defining unity? Yeah. Um, it's not defined. <laughs> it's very clear. It's very clear. It's very clear, Becky, what that means. I, I, I think, like, my fear in that is that if not everybody is on the same page, then we say, no, we're not going to, to do this again. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that it, the language just makes me a little bit nervous. You can, one can interpret unity um, in terms of a conservative status quo, in other words. Yeah, and you're asking, is that what this is the function of unity in this statement, in favoring the conservative status quo? And that's a great question. Not only that, but just the Holy Spirit. Some people don't even agree on, you know, how far extreme that can be. Like people who are prophetic, some people don't believe in that. And so to look at the word unity to give the Holy Spirit, that's, that's really hard to encapsulate. Right, yep. Don't we, and the eldership use a different word than unity? What is the... Uh, yeah, typically... Now you're talking out of turn, Mike. <laughs> that was Mike. <laughs> well, I, I think that the language that's often been used um, is that we're using language of pastoral care, right? And so uh, rather than a vague notion of unity, it's what does it mean to be pastorally sensitive to everybody in the church? And, um, you know, you still have to have the decision about what you think is the right thing for us to do at this time and this place, and then you seek to do it. And then you can go, hopefully you go about doing what you think is the right thing to do in this time and this place in a way that's pastorally sensitive to whether people agree with it or disagree with it. And I, I think that's the intent of the language behind unity. But we also, you, Blake, uh, did you write that word? I would never have wanted unity. No. <laughs> I actually do work, I mean, even some of the consensus sort of language of, within the elders, I, I feel like that in the same way potentially dangerous. Consensus like, is very so clear, person, just like unity. One senator can hold up the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that um, I think is true about any organization, whether it's a church or not, is that you're always having to deal with ambiguity, right? 
and you do your best to deal with ambiguity. And consensus is an ambiguous term. And what some people mean by consensus, other people don't mean by consensus and, and so forth. So, um, but the, even, even, <coughs> even with consensus, it's a sort of idea of we don't want this to be reduced merely to a democratic 51% majority rule, 50% plus one majority rule, um, a kind of power play stuff. It's more respecting the sense. So consensus means simply with the sense of, right? And so the idea is what's the general sense of the body, the general sense of the church? And so at its best, I think consensus is saying we're not going to try to run rough. We're not going to try to get a group of some powerful people in here who can get 51% of the vote and run roughshod over everybody else. Consensus at its best is saying let's respect the body, respect the community, respect what we understand scripture to be, and then try to live into that. Again, that's at its best, you know, but that's hopefully what we strive for. Well, and that's why it's important to remember, I think, what he was asking about, about other churches, and it's not, the Otter Creek is not the kingdom of heaven all by itself. We have to have unity with other other believers who are parts of other traditions and are assembling in different ways than we do. And if if it if you know if, if one of our practices is more comfortable to some people here, that doesn't mean we all have unity that that is the only way to do that thing. It's just in this time and place we've chosen to practice this part of our tradition in this way, but we acknowledge that this isn't the way all disciples practice this tradition. And so there there has to be some, I, I do think that we have to get a little more comfortable with, you know what, during this next season, maybe I can or cannot be part of this particular portion of our assembly because my, you know, something that's very, very important to me to honor is not being honored here. So for a season, I might be somewhere else. And that doesn't mean that I have lost unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It might mean I don't instill anger in that and gossip and bitterness in that, but I'm waiting maybe for Otter Creek to, on a, on a trajectory we trust it's on, to get to where maybe another assembly already is, and that that's part of what unity looks like, is that we can't all be on the same page all the time. Right. So we don't bash each other, we don't leave each other, we're still, we have the same MO still. Still committed to each other. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes? We were wrestling with a lot of big, ambitious goals here. And yet what I keep hearing is we're spending an inordinate amount of time over a decade wrestling with an issue that if I said you look 10 years out, is it still going to be an issue? I would hope the answer is no. And that's just my personal, you know, coming from a, a non-church Christ. I mean, does it ever feel like we're spending time focusing on something that doesn't move all those other points and, you know, we talk about scalability from a business concept. That's my favorite thing in the world, so thank you. <laughs> and, um, but that also requires focus. And it feels like our focus is divided. It's 
feels like that's part of the frustration. And again, I, I don't know the answer because God's everything to everybody. And as a church, we can't be. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to wrestle with that while still wrestling with the same issues for over a decade. Yeah. How, how, do, how do we reconcile that? Yeah. Well, first of all, just a little bit of clarity. One is that um, that got picked up for a year or two in 2012 or so, and then it was dropped until two years ago. Um, and then, um, you know, if you're asking, and again, I'm, I'm going to go into the, I'm speaking only for myself here, Mo, just a second. Um, I find, um, let's go back to the clarity thing. You know, I, there are a lot of things that seem really clear to me, but I have a lot of people, or I know people, and am friends with people who I honor and trust their hearts and trust their desire to do the will of God, and they just don't see it like I do. And I think they're wrong, and they think I'm wrong. And so then the question becomes, what do you do with that? And so in a tradition like ours, which is a plurality of leadership, you know, the reason that we're different, there, there are real differences between traditions, and it comes down to stuff like this, right? If, if you were um, Episcopal, you're not going to do this in the local church. The bishop's going to tell you what to do, right? And there are strengths to the bishop telling you to do if you like the bishop, and there's weaknesses in the bishop telling you what to do. Same thing with plurality of leadership in a local congregation like ours, so-called autonomous congregations, with the plurality of leadership, there are strengths in that model and there are weaknesses in that model. The weaknesses exasperate me and are exhausting. But there are times in which that model is um, amazing because you can do stuff at a local level and make decisions to do stuff that could take you not 10 years but could take you 40, 50, 60 years because you're waiting on this hierarchical structure of a huge organization to change and it's just not going to change in a decade. And so I hear you. I mean, it's just, um, it's really tough. But I think that it's, um, it's kind of where we are. And we're aware of the fact that it's, of some of the weaknesses of this. But I really appreciate you, raise, you raising that sort of thing. I guess one follow-up to that. How do, you, how do you partner with other churches when there's, I guess, salvational ties to, you know, if a woman's on stage as a preacher, that's a salvational Yeah, I mean, one, I think that what we have at least here in our church is not, not a lot of that, you know. Um, and I think you just do the best you can, you know, in trying to look for ways to draw bridges and do, do stuff together. If you can find ways to service in the community, I think that's one of the best ways that that happens. I'm going to go Emily and then Brad, and if we have time, we'll do one more. I, and look, this is the deal. We're, out, we're already past time, um, but I'll stay here and keep talking if you want us to keep talking. Um, so if you need to slip out, slip out. But I'll, we can keep talking for another ten minutes or so. Who who does next? Just a real quick question. Um, I know that there have been women that have received enough votes to become elders, and they were not permitted to be elders here because of this issue, and that's part of why they're having this conversation. 
And that would, to me, reveal a consensus of at least a part of the body of what they believe should be. So how do you gauge the consensus of the body? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, I anticipate, well, things that that has already looked like is um, not, um, not making this a matter of middle-aged and older white men sitting in a room talking about it. Um, it's meant uh, asking lots of people to come talk about it and to listen. Um, and I'll be really honest, you know, there's a point at which you're still going to have middle-aged and older white men make a decision because that's the authority structure that we have at the moment. So I don't know there's a way to get around that unless, you know, I mean, I don't know a way you're going to get around that. Um, but nonetheless, there's been an intentionality about saying we're going to be pretty unwise here if we just think we're going to be, us, us white men are going to sit in this room and work this stuff out without listening to women a lot and carefully. Um, so that's kind of what's going on. And I anticipate that will continue to happen. Great question. Brad? Uh, uh, regarding module 13. Which was what? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> you want to answer that question? <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the original language was multi-site, multi-site, going back to the vision, people pointed to the multi-site language in the vision and ministry center. Um, and I also hear the language of our other campus. And so that's at least the language that's getting used. What that means in practical terms, I think, it's actually being worked out in practice as we go. So there's a, an evolving trajectory that's still in process. That seems to be the case to me. Yeah. Uh, yes. So um, back to the women um, and you know the proposal that I right. for, uh, the thing that jumped out at me when Becky read that point is um, is not unity but openly studying and discussing. Um, the thing that was missing, it, I didn't know about the about what that decision will, how it will be, you know, how it will play out in front of the congregation. 
know, we're all coming, you know, from from love and the same place. Yeah. Um, and so more discussion and more visibility is helpful. I really appreciate that a great deal. Thank you. Um, and I resonate with that a lot. Thank you. One more. Um, on the very first slide that's on our papers, um, three, the elders want to, uh, the elders commit to authentic leadership. We will be prayerful, visible, committed, confessional, and accountable. Accountable to who? To one another, to the church, to your flocks, and and what is, if, if the church is invited into that accountability, what is the path yeah. towards that? Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I don't know the intent of, you know, that, what the intent of that was with regard to your really good questions. Um, I would presume, again, I'm just presuming here, that it's an accountability to the church and it's an accountability to one another and accountability to the staff. Um, and um, I would encourage you all to, to presume that the first point of accountability is to ask honest questions of elders that you know um, and I'll also I'll also suggest that it may surprise some of you to know how um, how, how seriously a lot of feedback gets taken um, and it doesn't take all many people to say something before it gets mentioned you know, I heard from so-and-so, and I heard from so-and-so of this, right? And it, it's, it gets, it often gets, not always, because this is another kind of breakdown in big church, big staff, big eldership. So it doesn't always happen that way. But, but I would encourage you um, to, to presume the legitimacy and the importance of being forthright with people in the eldership. And, you know, we get tired and, and we get exhausted as well. And so be mindful of that, too, you know, um, and kindness is always helpful. Thank you all very much. Blessings on you. Much joy. I'll hang around for a few more minutes if anybody has some questions for me.